Hi everyone, it's Zill. A quick programming note before we get to today's episode. We've launched a Patreon to help support the podcast, and I'd like to invite you to join us. It's not mandatory, and we will never paywall any content, but it will help us to not only compensate our poor editor, but also help to continue to push the podcast forward. So if you're interested, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash tftuesdaypod. Thanks to Pythos Cheetah, Professor Scritch, Madame Chakot, Kaiko, Patrick Coyote, Flounder, and Stormy Fennec for being this month's associate producers. Thanks, everyone. Well, hello, and welcome back to the TF Tuesday podcast. My name is Zill, and I'm really glad that you are joining us this week for another exciting episode. We've been having some decent weather around my parts, and I am hoping that it stays that way. Today, I have a wonderful guest that I'm very excited to have aboard with us to chat a little bit about his work and the journey that he's gone through in terms of creating TF art. So Hornbuckle, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey Zil, I'm Hornbuckle. I'm a TF artist and I am excited to be here. Yeah, really glad to have you on. A longtime friend of the pod, I will say. Oh, <laughs> thank you. So I was really curious to hear a little bit about your journey into TF, specifically in kind of how you got interested in it at the start. Sure. I kind of like to say that uh, TF chose me. Ever since I saw American Werewolf in London, and then American Werewolf in Paris, then again, I'm not sure if I saw one or the other first. I just know that I was in the fourth or fifth grade, and it was a slumber party movie. (laughs) And the moment I saw werewolves, I was hooked. And I still recall beautiful memories of me and a close friend. His name is Gus. We were, we met in the sixth grade and he was really into werewolves too. And so we would pretend that we were actually were werewolves and we'd be like, okay, uh, on the next full moon, we're gonna meet up at the cemetery next to your house, Gus. <laughs> and so like the next day at school after the full moon, We'd be like, oh, wasn't that like so much fun? You know, we didn't go to the cemetery, obviously, yeah. but we would pretend like we had, that we really were werewolves. For the transformation aspect, you know, I never thought of it as TF. I was never super focused on the transition aspect, just the end form. And actually, later on, I will mention something about this later on a more personal note. But I just liked the end form. I was fascinated by the fictional possibility to go from human to powerful beast and that that's just you know the end game is just what enthralled me but i don't actually recall how i got into the tf scene i remember when i got into the business of tf but not the moment before (laughs) (laughs) oh that's interesting yeah um, I, it's still kind of a mystery, so if, if anyone of my past knows some of my history, then maybe they'll be able to shine a light, but I, I'm not too sure. <laughs> so then what, what was that moment that kind of got you into the business of TF? 
actually, I have to go back. I have to go back. <laughs> There's actually, I, I had looked ahead at the um, audience questions. So this is for you, Figer Fire. <laughs> from what I can tell from digging through my FA gallery, I had posted a three-page TF sequence of a short-lived character transforming into a monkey. And it was posted January 8th, 2014. It's like my very first TF ever posted in my gallery. And like, that's my only memory. I don't even know what inspired it. And it's funny because I was trying to do some research before coming on this podcast to talk with you. And this whole time, I really thought TF commissions came first. But it took looking back for this interview to, to find out the truth. <laughs> I don't recall what inspired the comic. I really cannot recall. But then later that year... Uh, I dug some more, and it looks like June 3rd, 2014, I posted what I believe was my first TF commission, and it was for Four Paws. Oh, yes. Another friend of the pod. Yes. <laughs> and so this is, as far as I can tell, my very first uh, client TF. Another monkey. Another Amazing. monkey. <laughs> I wonder if the monkey theme was directly influenced by my TF comic. I don't recall. It might have been. I would not be surprised. But uh, from there, that's where the business you know, started. My freelance TF artist career took off. And I started to find that uh, more and more clients sought me out for TF, more so than anything else. And I'm cool with that. That's awesome. You know, it's funny that your first memories kind of were related to werewolf TFs. But when it came to actually starting to create your own art, you had gravitated in some sense to monkey TF, which can at times also be like, I found it's interesting that there's actually a sizable number of people who are like, I'm into lots of things, but not that because it's too close to being quote unquote human, which I always strikes me as strange. And so it's interesting that that was kind of your first foray into creating TF content. Yeah, public TF content. I still recall yeah. when I was, uh, after seeing the Elite Werewolf movies, I just drew werewolves all the time. But I know it was never, I don't know if it was really much TF, you know, I don't know if it was them in the middle of transforming. It was always the end game of like, here's this big monstrous werewolf. But yeah, the, my first public, yeah, it was, it was monkey. It was a monkey TF. Um, I love monkeys though. And I think it's probably why I did that. And maybe I felt like werewolf was too, too classic, which I don't feel the same way now. I freaking love werewolf TF. <laughs> it's classic for a reason. <laughs> it is. It is. You can't go wrong with it. But I mean, even then, like, you know, with, with werewolf content, I mean, there is an argument to be made that even when it's like just the full post-transformation change, it is still, you know, TF art in some way. Because even just depicting someone going from one thing to the next and only showing the final form, there is still like, you know, the vibes of TF. The implied. We all know what a werewolf is. You know, they were not this form before. So, you know, I was kind of interested to talk a little bit about something I found really interesting about kind of your arc and career within transformation art. For the vast majority of your public career, I noticed that you stuck very broadly towards only creating safer work content. And so I'm just curious to dig a little more into that and kind of understand what led you to focus on that specifically. Many factors. <laughs> Some I am only starting to realize now, too. One main reason is that I wasn't sure where my career as an artist would go. Like, what if I got a studio job? What if I started illustrating children's books? I really did not know 
what I wanted to do with my art career. In 2013, when I started to post my art, I was working retail. That was my, you know, real job. <laughs> I wanted to have my art as a as my real job, but I couldn't fathom it as a reality. And if I did fantasize and daydream, it was hard to picture what it would even look like. You know, what does an art career look like? So I looked to like classic examples of, you know, only I only saw like studio work, you know, or children's books that really felt like the only thing an illustrator or someone who can draw, like those kind of jobs that they would get. So if that was my only option, then I had to stay, you know, quote, professional. And I know better now, but at the time, staying professional meant only drawing safe for work themes. Since then, I've seen many examples of artists who draw not safe for work and who have done illustrations for comics and magazines and children's books and who work for animation studios who have been hired all over the place in areas that deal with only safe work content. You're allowed. You're allowed to <laughs> have your personal life and draw what you want and have a career. So now I know it's not a deal breaker. And with that said, I'm not looking to work for someone else anymore. My plan is to stay an independent artist, my own boss, because it's, it's really good. Yeah, there's a lot of freedom that you have when you are your own boss. There's also obviously drawbacks because it also means you're your own boss. But <laughs> I mean, it, it has a lot of freedom to it, which is nice. My only number one complaint, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate, is taxes. Like, I might moan or complain every now and then of like, you know, oh, all the day I just did emails. I didn't get a chance to draw. But I'm like, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. It's the, it's the taxes that, that are the hardest being your own boss. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the way that it's kind of set up where you have to oftentimes pay it all back at one time at the end, it's like, oh my God, like, ugh, why couldn't we have a better system? But alas. But it's interesting to me that it definitely seems like the focus on that content wasn't so much tied to interest so much as it was in terms of career advancement. Because, you know, conversely, I've noticed, of course, that you've started putting out not safe for work content fairly recently. So once you saw that other people were able to do that, was that the moment in which you were able to kind of shift gears? And did that kind of like change the types of pieces that you were taking on for commissions? Um, it wasn't so much realizing that I could draw not safe for work and still have a you know, professional career. Because I, I was aware of that for quite a few years before I made the transition. So to tell a little story... The desire to draw Not Safe for Work has always been there, but there are a lot of reasons why I held myself back. One, we didn't talk about sex in my family, so it wasn't that it wasn't taboo, but I didn't have a strong like footing on understanding myself as like a sexual creature. <laughs> Two, I was so distant from my own body, despite enjoying sex, that illustrating it became hard. Three, as I mentioned before, I was concerned with my career. And four, I didn't want to be known just for my not safe for work illustrations. I had just heard some like horror stories of like people being like, it's the only thing I'm known for is the porn. I'm like, well, I want to be known for more than just porn. It's not bad for the porn, but I wanted to like establish myself as a artist who could do both. <laughs> but the desire was still always there. And it was finally actually able to break free when I transitioned. That was the catalyst into being able to make the change, to open up to it. Suddenly, with transitioning, I had hoped that I'd finally feel right in my body. And I do, happy to report. <laughs> 
And that personal note I wanted to mention before while we were discussing werewolves, I didn't want to focus on the transition because I wanted the end result. Ah, okay, that makes sense. For the werewolf, I wanted to have like the power and strength and that otherworldly awesomeness. And for transitioning to male, I felt impatient. I knew I was going to have to go on a lengthy journey to get my final form. <laughs> but I didn't want to have to wait, and I still don't. <laughs> I want my beard and I want it now. <laughs> I completely understand. As a beard haver, beards are great. So I feel you there. And I hope it will come sooner because they're great. I have like a baby beard right now. Like baby mustache. <laughs> baby beard. It's it's cute. It'll get there. Yeah, it's good. If it, I have it'll get there. my brothers to look at, I'll, I'll grow a beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, with that said, I am, I am taking this journey one step at a time, and I feel like I, I have been rather patient with my transition, despite my wanting it now. <laughs> so once, uh, I mean, so as I grow more towards my final form, I was able to finally look in the mirror and see the man I've always wanted to be. And once I started finally seeing that, I finally fell in love with myself, something I had never experienced before. And that led to me, me to be able to start to explore my own sexuality. And I'm still working on it, actually. Uh, getting used to a new form, exploring a new form, you know, it takes a while. So now that I don't feel so foreign in my own body, I was able to let go of the anxiety of drawing and sharing not safe for work artwork. It, it doesn't feel as daunting anymore, <laughs> the prospect of drawing not safe for work for clients or for myself. I think it's great that by feeling more connected to your body and your reflection in the mirror, you've kind of come to terms with at least understanding what it is that you like and also what you want to see and now feeling comfortable enough to actually put it out there. I think that that's, that's really great. Thank you. Yeah, it, that's that was the big push towards uh, being okay not safe for work because I was always there I'd always wanted to do it but I didn't realize how you know being sexual is a personal thing and if I couldn't even feel connected to my own body and sexuality how was I gonna draw it and be okay with drawing other people's freedom you know I, I needed some freedom and now I have it <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know I think one of the things that I've always wondered as well as like, and I've talked about this with other people, but like with the often emphasis on not safe for work content, how do you feel people who are more interested in that not safe for work side of things should approach discussions around TF when it comes to safe for work settings? Like the classic example I always think of is you are at a convention or something and there might be a TF panel and you want to talk about TF, but it's a safe for work setting. And I guess I wonder if, if there's a way for us when we talk about these things to decouple what we like about TF sexually versus aesthetically. And so I was curious to hear if you had any thoughts on that. My gut instinct says you don't have to decouple it. You just have to be aware that there is a time and place for everything. If you're in a safe work setting like the panel, then keep your admiration safe for work. For example, I can easily discuss a favorite character of mine and admire their aesthetic. And then in the right company and setting, I could admire them sexually. Uh, but my love for the character or topic of interest hasn't changed, just my language to fit the setting. So there's nothing wrong still being 
sexually and aesthetically into TF, uh, just know that there's a time and place for everything. I would agree with that. And I think it's also interesting in the sense that, you know, I've met people who were more focused on like, you know, the safe for work kind of topics and don't even have an interest in the not safe for work side. And I, I guess for me, I think there is a sense of like those people might come into conversations about transformation and they might feel turned off by those discussions if it's solely focused on like the sexual side. But again, like you said, there's a time and place for everything. And maybe it's kind of a a matter of us just being conscious of that and ensuring that everyone can participate in discussions in a way that makes them feel at least comfortable. Exactly. This is about being mindful. And, you know, if you have a safer work TF panel, you could have a not safer work TF panel where those extra sexy sides, you know, can be spoken. And the people who aren't into that don't have to come. <laughs> yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And frankly, I, I always think there should be more TF panels at conventions. So absolutely. more people need to have panels. <laughs> <laughs> so then I guess as like a last question, in terms of now that you are kind of like taking on to some degree not safe for work commissions, have you noticed any shift in terms of the ideas that are pitched to you? Or is it like, you know, the same sort of general mix of ideas just with the sexy side thrown in? It's, uh, hmm. I think it's about the same content, just with the sexy side thrown in. Uh, I actually haven't really received too many not safe for work commissions. I was kind of expecting that to be more in demand, and it's okay that it's not. But but I was I was like surprised. Okay, not too many people want it. Um, not that they don't want it, but I mean, I get I think I get safe for work stuff more often. It's it's uh, like eighty percent safe for work, twenty percent, maybe even less. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if in some ways, because you initially built yourself up in a certain way, maybe people just like that so much that they just keep wanting that sort of vibe and things haven't changed. Mm -hmm. I love that I was able to build that kind of content and uh, people have uh, reacted to it very lovingly and supportively. I think I speak for many people when I say that your stuff is great and clearly it resonates with a lot of people if they keep coming back for more. And and I know that you have a lot of repeat customers, so that's always nice to see. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very grateful for new clients and especially my my regulars. I love them. I don't know what I'd do without them. Shout out to all my regulars. I love you. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, one of the things also I, I was curious to talk to you about is in terms of the way in which you have created art over the years, you know, one thing I've always admired about your art is your kind of ability to effectively communicate transformation through the lens of comics and, and sequence. And those are not easy things to tackle. I'm sure you know that firsthand. So, you know, I was curious to know a little bit more about what kind of drew you to those formats in the first place, given that they can seem very daunting externally, um, both from a viewer perspective and also from an artist perspective. Oh, man, absolutely. What drew me to those formats in the first place was that the format seemed to go naturally hand in hand. Transformation has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it tells a story. And comics and sequences are the natural conclusion for when I draw TF. And, you know, you can have one-off moments of TF2, just like a mid-TF or beginning or ending, and that works. But I find it's a lot of fun to have at least two or three moments in the sequence to get the whole story. And it is definitely daunting. And it is not easy. 
but it's worth it. I just feel like it's it's so worth it to see a sequence. I get a lot of good response and feedback when when there's two to three or even more moments in a transformation because you really get to feel the whole story. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And obviously, I think that from a viewer perspective, having those different points in the story not only effectively communicates different points in the transformation, but also like you get more of a chance to have a narrative almost attached because when you only have one picture, sometimes it can be hard to like cram a bunch of stuff in for lack of a better term to try and tell a story visually. Whereas obviously when you have more frames, you have a more fulsome picture. But I was I was curious to know also like how do you go about blocking a sequencer comic to make the changes flow naturally because I find that with yours there's usually a sense of kind of fluidity and motion and it can be really difficult to nail that. So I was curious like what kind of your thought process is around when you approach a sequence, like how do you go about planning it out? If I'm in charge of it, I you know, if like the client has specifically said each every detail for every moment. I just try to think of what I'd like to see, and I try to start small. Uh, usually, rarely does the like beginning image have nothing going on. Usually there's something, like a hint of something. So depending on the client's tastes, I've gotten to know my clients pretty well, it'll be like you can see the ears starting to grow, or like the fingertips or the toes, or maybe a tail has started to poke out. And I just build from there. I do like little quick doodles just to see, well, you know, if only the ears started on page one, maybe a few more obvious things would happen on page two. You know, the hands and the feet, definitely a tail, definitely ears coming out, um, maybe a muzzle growing. And then depending on the length of it, you know, if we have five pages to go, just adding little bits here and there. So really it's just what would I like to see and what, what my client tastes are and I've done it a lot, so it's almost become second nature, too. <laughs> it was a little harder at first, but I kind of got the hang of it now. Is the kind of progression always dictated by, like, the theme and trigger? like, Or do you tailor it to the client in some ways? Do you, like, look at past pieces you've done for them to kind of try to emulate certain similar vibes or look at any of the pieces in their gallery to kind of, like, imitate that progression as well? All of the above, because <laughs> there's there's definitely no set progression speed. It depends on the TF. Uh, you know, transformation can be a very personal theme. You know, all my clients have different tastes and preferences when it comes to TF, and you know, I have my own tastes. So I'd say it's always dictated by the person who it's for. Yeah, looking through their, their galleries of previous stuff gives me a good idea, and and most clients are pretty good at telling me what what they're interested in. And, and how fast they want things to go. No, that's good. It's always better to have more communication than less from clients. So That's why my uh, form, my commission form, is very specific. And I appreciate when clients are able to give me all the details in one go. But I don't mind discussing it back and forth a bit because sometimes you know people don't know what they want. But I want to get all those juicy details, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's very important to capture those juicy details. And so then I guess my my next question is also like, you know, when it comes to, you know, you're trying to create a sequence or a comic and you know kind of what the commissioner likes and maybe they've given you references for certain things and either, you know, they're trying to emulate a specific vibe from either a past piece you might have done or another artist's piece. How do you go about differentiating them from one another? Because, you know, obviously when we see, for example, I'll use a donkey 
transformation. You know, there's key things that people will want to focus on in the context of either a sequence or comic. And they're all kind of like slight variations of similar kind of vibes. But when you approach a new piece, what kind of mindset do you go in with to try and make it still stand out in its own unique way? That's a really good question. You mean for like a client or for... For either, I would say. Maybe like for yourself as an example. Well, it is true. I've done a lot of donkey TS. And... I think everyone has. Yeah. <laughs> to make it a little different, expression and emotion can help. So even if maybe it's similar framing, you know, there could have been a previous piece where the, the uh, person transforming is uh, frightened and unsure. And then maybe in this one, I make them ecstatic and happy and that changes everything you know a, a donkey bucking its hind legs in the air while looking horrified is a very different feeling than a donkey bucking its legs in the air looking absolutely ecstatic so i'm trying to think about it too much though hopefully i make it <laughs> different enough, enough each time i'm not sure if it's a conscious effort though i think also as well like i've definitely heard from other folks that you know when you like a specific thing, sometimes it's okay to have like similar vibes and, you know, similar posing and people are happy to come back to like similar things. So long as it's not like exactly the same. Yeah. I don't think I ever give somebody the same thing. I don't think I do that at least. Yeah. But like, I think it's, it's interesting that to some extent when it comes to like commissions, sometimes people just want the same thing over and over again with like little tweaks. And so it can be, it can be interesting and almost challenging in some ways to just make sure that you know obviously the commissioner is happy and at the end of the day but also that you come away feeling like you've done a good job and like you're happy with the final output do you ever struggle with that or well maybe say maybe one thing that really stuck out to me is when i have clients who give me a reference for the exact pose that they want and it's another tf artist having doing the same thing and I tell them, I am not going to copy this pose outright, but I can give you the essence of it. You know, what do you like about it? And sometimes it's, well, I really like that there's a focus on the feet. The feet are in the foreground. I'm like, okay, I got you. It won't be the same thing. I'm not going to copy this outright. I don't think they believe I'm going to copy it, but they just like, I want it to be this. And they don't know how to express, you know, to make it any different. So I'm... Yeah there to guide them and be like, you know, it'll be a little different, but I got you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, references are good and you can use those to get like the essence or focus or vibe, but it's not like, you know, you're not going to copy it one for one, of course. And I think that's good. So then I guess my last kind of question around the comics and sequences is, you know, they're obviously a much larger time sink compared to a single image. So when, you know, when it comes to making these kinds of things, how do you approach these intensive sorts of projects without burning out? Like, have you ever run into any roadblocks creating one midway? And if so, how did you kind of navigate yourself out of it? That is a good question. And I'm still working on what's best for me. Burnout is real. Process. Yeah, burnout is real. And I've burned out before. So what I have learned so far, though, is only taking one comic page per month, per client. I don't care if there's three clients who want a comic page, but only one page at a time. Uh, and only as like a colored sketch or a flat color. I So I've learned that I burn out faster if it's shaded. It's very time consuming and, and you know, like you said, work intensive. And if I work on one idea for too long, 
I found uh, I can feel burnout. So that's why it's one page. Like, let me focus on the one page of this or the one sequence. Well, I could take on, you know, five full bodies for the same client. That's fine. But a comic is a little more intensive. And another key is charging for what I'm worth. I've been learning about that. I was not charging enough and, you know, the money runs out and you still have to do it <laughs> and you still have to take on more and you're still working on the same thing. So charging what I'm worth has absolutely helped. And for roadblocks, uh, God, yeah, I've, I've run into so many roadblocks midway. On a personal level, to this day, I have not completed any of the TF comic ideas I have ever started. So I've done plenty of client stuff, but for myself, I haven't. And I'm trying to resolve that. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. One step I've taken now that I feel like more stable in this crazy environment um, I had a Patreon and I closed it in 2020 because of the pandemic. I just reopened it and I've changed it so that it doesn't actually give me any more work. You know, I used to have Patreon patron perks where, you know, they'd get art or things like that. And I got rid of that because that was too much on top of my regular work. And so now it's just a tip jar and patrons get to see, you know, behind the scenes views of how I work, you know, my process. They get to vote in polls for arts that I'm going to do or merch I'm going to make and they get discounts and other fun perks. And so what I'm hoping this will do for me is to have a place I can test the waters and encourage me to keep going and share since I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> and I was going to say for the, for the you know client projects, it's definitely been a learning experience too. Luckily though, something I've learned is to have the client write out and thumbnail their own comic. Because I used to write the comic for the clients. They just said, oh, I want a three-page, you know, something such in comic. And I was like, sure. But I quickly learned that's not for me. Like, I, I was able to do it, but I was not charging for the time spent writing the comic, too. Like, that's a whole other time-consuming aspect. So now I encourage clients to write in thumbnail. And thankfully, that's minimized roadblocks. But I will still have to figure out what to do with my personal comics. Yeah, I, I'll say two things that come to mind on those points. You know, the first one being the thumbnailing is such a good idea, like having clients help you like understand what it is they're actually looking for, because anyone can say they want, you know, a comic about X. But even if you're just saying you want that comic, on some level, you do have a kind of an idea of what you're looking for. And if you are kind of tasked with putting that out or laying it out in a certain way, it will help the artist at the end of the day so much to create a piece of work that you really are happy with and also makes their life easier. So exactly. Um, yeah, kudos <laughs> on doing that. Everybody that, happy. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yes. I recommend <laughs> to anybody like to stop writing for clients, just let them do it on their own and then you can yeah. make it happen. You can make the details come to life. Absolutely. And for the second thing about the personal projects, you know, that definitely resonates with me. I have struggled to finish personal projects. Uh, and there's actually only one that I did that was like a big project that it wasn't a, a TF comic or anything, but I was doing a TF for every letter of the alphabet. And it took me like six years to finish it or seven years. <laughs> it, it's tough, you know, like when you run into roadblocks like that, I remember for me, you know, like I put it to the side and walked away for two or three years in that interim because I was just burnt out from trying to do it. And I found that coming back to it after that time was helpful. But, you know, it can be really difficult to 
drum up the motivation sometimes to do those more intensive personal projects, particularly when you have, you know, commissions on your plate. And, you know, that's what's, you know, what you need to continue to take those in to, you know, like afford to eat and such and like, you know, make a living. It's, it's it's really hard. And yeah, I, I, I feel you there. It is hard. So, you know, but I have hope because you said it took you eight years, what, seven years? Yeah, seven years. But you walked away for a couple of years. So I, I have hope. I've walked away from a couple of projects. So I, I hope to get back to them and uh, feel more yeah. refreshed about them. And that's that's why I'm doing the low stakes Patreon because it's like, it, you know, everyone's going to see something. And everyone gets a little bit of a perk, but there's no pressure to make something specific quickly. So I can just exactly. take my time. And the kind of inadvertent upside of doing that is that when you come back to it and you like continue forwards with what you already had you kind of look back at what you did in the past and you're like oh i'm doing this stuff now i've been away from this for like two three years or whatever and i see the difference in like my skill level like i can see how i've like changed things and gotten better so if anything i find that coming back to something that you might have put to the side for a while can be a bit of a confidence booster because it almost validates the progress that you make on a daily basis but you don't see it on a daily basis because you're in the thick of it right but when you have something to compare it to it's like oh my gosh i actually have (laughs) been getting better i like that yes exactly that's a good way to look at it and I can say that for my transition too. <laughs> yeah. I have pictures to look back on. I'm like, oh, I have come a long way. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great that you mentioned that because that was actually going to be kind of my next suite of questions. You know, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what your experience has been like being a public TF artist who transitioned somewhat recently in, in 2020, I believe, was initially when you made a post about coming out. So I was curious to know, did you find that people were fairly accepting and what kind of speed bumps did you encounter along the way? I have been very fortunate and I am grateful every single day because my transition has gone really smoothly. Um, And within the community, I have had nothing but outright support. I even had a fundraiser help with my top surgery and it was fully funded within a few days, if I recall. It was to help with expenses while I was out of work. And so many beautiful people came together and helped me out there. This this community is incredible, and I am forever grateful. And for the most part, um, in my personal life outside of the internet, too, I, I've had a lot, a lots of support as well. Just a handful of rough moments, like just a family member who doesn't get it. <laughs> but I know I fared better than most. My family didn't disown me. They still love me and support me 100%, and they're even eager to learn. And... I still have an awesome, loving life partner who loves me unconditionally, and my local friend group has only grown too. So <laughs> there really hasn't been too many speed bumps. I just lucked out. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I remember the fundraiser and how quickly it funded, which was really heartening to see. So I'm glad that that has continued to be good as well. Thank you. It's been really interesting, just as a little side note here, with, with being a TF artist, I had people come to me in my earlier TF career, and even now to this day, who would ask for TFTG, and they would always thank me for letting them see themselves as the opposite gender that they wanted, or maybe not in so many words, but then eventually they would come to me, or I'd see on Twitter, that then they finally had the courage to come out as trans. And I've had lots of them come to me and say it was 
your art seeing me how I want to be that really gave me the courage. And that's a really special kind of honor that I'm really glad to have. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I mean, I've spoken about this at length in various episodes, so I won't harp too much on it. But in my personal experience, I always found that gender TF art was kind of a way to explore my own being non-binary. And it is really validating to see that depicted in a piece of art. And I think that there's definitely people who play around with that and they're fully cisgendered. And I, I appreciate that as well, because it means that they're thinking about things from like a, a gender lens and exploring things while still feeling comfortable in their own bodies. But particularly for people who feel alienated from their own bodies, I think that transformation art that touches on those themes can be so important to see visually because it allows you to make a connection to an image that maybe you know you don't feel that connection when you look in the mirror but when you look at that picture you feel more of a connection and that is something that's just incredibly powerful so you know i was curious then you know obviously you mentioned in the past that people had already approached you for that kind of art um, in terms of having gender changes. Have you found that the ways in which people interact with you has also changed throughout your transition? Like, are you getting more gender change themed pictures now? And like, has the general kind of suite of commissions changed at all as well? I think for the for those type of commissions, I think it's, it's been about the same. But for TFTG, everything's stayed about the same. I haven't seen really an influx, but... Um, one really sweet thing that happened was a really sweet client who had a specific TFTG commission request. I had shared with them that like I too was trans because they were just discussing the possibility. And then she became much more relaxed and excited to talk to me about it. And now we're really good friends. So, so the change in knowing that I'm on the same side or I get it, you know, I know the same, I have the same story has given me a, a closer bond, I think to people who who are looking at that for themselves so that's probably the only shift yeah no that's interesting and i think that's really cool that people who when they are like you know not cis can feel more open in terms of talking about those kinds of commissions when they know that the artist is also somewhere on that spectrum Mm -hmm. for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term like it, it, it it's almost like there is a bit of a kinship that you then feel more open in talking about the things that you like and I've definitely noticed personally when I said I was non-binary, I actually did see actually quite an increase. So that was why I was curious to ask. So it's interesting that that hasn't really changed as much, but I'm sure that the people who are you know, already getting it and still coming to get it feel even more at ease that they know that the themes will be handled in a way that's respectful and validating. Yeah. I think too, because I established that I was respectful and validating of their idea and I do think there's now an extra comfort that I also get it on a personal level. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one other thing I've also found is that, you know, TF folks can sometimes perceive trans people to be undergoing a TF of sorts. And to be clear, obviously, there are often bodily changes that are undergone, be it through, you know, a top surgery, a bottom surgery, hormones, what have you. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if this is almost a bit of a, misnomer simplification of what trans folks undergo so i was curious to know how you feel around the tf label getting attached to transitioning it on a whole does that resonate with you at all or does it perturb you 
Um, you know, that actually like resonates with me because, you know, I am transforming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have become male and it was a transformation. Yeah. Uh, however, that's just me. And we got to respect that not all trans folks are going to like that comparison. So best not to use it as a generalization for all trans folks. So I wouldn't just go around saying that to anybody who's trans, <laughs> who also likes TF. I don't, I don't know. It's not, not everyone's going to like that. But for me, I'm, I'm blissed out for finally transforming into the man I always wanted to be. It was a TF and it's the best TF and it's still happening. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's an ongoing process and you know, you have been very patient, but it would, you would like <laughs> it to get to the end stage sooner as well, which is completely understandable. And you know, facial hair. <laughs> yeah, facial hair. Um, and I mean, I personally connect with the transformation motif personally, but I do know, mm-hmm. like, again, trans folks are not a monolith. We all have very different and varied opinions on these things. And I think that it's interesting that people who are into both transformation and also are not cis can have different connections between the two, because some people mm-hmm. do explore transformation and find a resonance in those kinds of gender changes and then there's other people who say you know i enjoy that stuff but that is completely separate from how i view myself as i go through life and the two don't actually overlap and so you know i I find it always interesting when i do encounter people on the other side of the sphere because it's it's an interesting kind of thought process and i think i understand it but i'm still learning exactly i'm all for saying i'm tfing but it's not going to be for everybody So then, you know, when it comes to the stuff that you often get commissioned for, one thing that I've kind of noticed is that a lot of the art that gets commissioned from you, or at least a decent amount of it, is of character TF. Um, Generally speaking, like, what do you find appealing about that? Or is it something that you only create when you're commissioned to do so? Well, who wouldn't want to transform into Beast from Beauty and the Beast, right? I mean, it's true. that's pretty appealing <laughs> to me. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I love all different characters, and we admire those characters. For me, it's just taking that, uh, the appeal of the character, just taking our admiration for the character like one step further to TF into it. Not only do I love this character, I can be them. And that's like pretty dang cool to me. And then, no, I think it was through getting commissioned that... I found the joy in it. I, I didn't even think of doing that. You know, my, my life really was werewolves, you know, and then like, oh, but you can like turn into beast. Yeah. Beast is pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, numerous yeah. other ones. And I, okay, I get it. I get the appeal. Absolutely. <laughs> so it was, it was thanks to my clients. Thanks clients. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Then, you know, like as you kind of discovered character TF through kind of your clients and got more interested into it yourself. One thing that I know is sometimes a bit of a dividing line with people who are into character TF is the mindset afterwards. You know, some people like their minds to be fully how they were before. They're just now in that character's body. And some people like, you know, picking up those personality traits um, or having like a slightly different view on life all the way to like fully having a completely changed mindset. So I was curious to know where you fall and like what your logic is for like where you fall on the spectrum of that. You know, I honestly have not put much thought onto it personally. Like, so this is an interesting thought study here. So I keep bringing up B. So let's just think about B. So would I want to be in B's body, but my own mind? 
Or would I want to be in Beast body with a little bit of Beast personality, but my own mind? Or just full on Beast? I'm going to say with the middle. To, to, because you, you kind of admire some of the traits in that character, not just their physical aesthetic. I mean, maybe somebody does. So I should say for me, uh, I admire not just how Beast looks. I like some of his personality traits once he gets better he's kind of a dick in the beginning but he's he he means well he's sweet so you kind of want that you know he's brave and not afraid to protect the ones he loves and i think i do that too but like in beast body to have that little extra bit of rage would be great you know i don't know if i'd have that naturally without (laughs) a little bit of his personality so a little bit in the middle i don't think i'd want to become fully a character and lose myself Mm -hmm. and then not just myself. Yeah. Do you find that with that end of the spectrum of like being fully the character, is there like an existential worry there or is it something else that you're just not really into? I don't feel the existential dread about it. I think it's just not for me, but I get it. I do get it when people do like that and I've drawn that for people. And so I, I understand the appeal and I've, I can't, I can't picture wanting it even though I get it. Someone else wants it. And I support that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. I always think it's interesting to kind of ask around the mental um, aspects of character TF because it can be so varied. Like anyone can like, for example, maybe admire the aesthetics of Beast, but it's a much more open question as to how much like Beast you want to be. Exactly. Right? I like that. It's a really good question. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, the other thing I've seen that you've done sometimes, I think this is less common, but like, you know, TFs of characters themselves into something else. You know, some people are really into the idea of, you know, to use the same example, Beast turning into something. Um, because we're all like, why did you turn him into a boring human? Why don't you turn him into something else? <laughs> um, Worst ending ever. Not I really, know, like but just garbage, zero to ten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, I was curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Like, wh- how do you feel about uh, TFs of characters themselves into something new? Like, is that something you also find interesting? Or is it more disconnected because it's not necessarily of yourself or someone that you know? I like it. I think it's an extension of the admiration for a character. Because, you know, it's like, I like you so much, I'm going to devote my time and attention towards you. So to be into taking an already established IP and wanting to transform it into something else, you know, it's just showing your love for them. And I think that's a valid and fun transformation trope, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one of the things that always interests me about that, it's not like I, I can see the appeal as well, and I am somewhat into it depending on the situation but the thing that always interests that for me is when i think about transformation it's very often connected to myself personally and less so about or like you know myself personally like or people i know but less so about something from like a a fictional piece of media so when people are into it i'm always curious to learn a little more about it so that I understand it better. And so, you know, I think you have touched on that to some degree in your answer, but I guess my follow-up question is, how would you explain that appeal to someone who doesn't necessarily get it? Sometimes it's hard to look at ourselves and it's hard to express ourselves and be the people we want to be, act the way we want to act. And so when you get attached to a character, that might be actually the extension of yourself. So 
if you can't find yourself wanting to transform your own being, say, into Beast, but you find that Beast is what you want to be, then that is a comfort character. That's suddenly your avatar. Right. And so you might cling on to that character because you can't cling on to yourself at the moment. And so to have your avatar transform into what you'd want to have fun doing, you know, that's okay. That That's, mm-hmm. I think, the, the appeal. So it's it's almost like, you know, you kind of described it as like having a comfort character that you identify with. It's almost like having a TF Sona, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, a TF Sona, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that does actually make sense to me. And I know that obviously sometimes we use transformation to connect with something that we feel more connected to often, you know, to use another example, like people who have their persona turn into something else that is technically a character transforming into something else, but it's also something that people are very much attached to and identify with. So that definitely, that does make sense now that you've kind of explained it that way, I think. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, when it comes to characters turning into something else, um, when it's based in like already like an anthropomorphized animal per se, do you find it challenging to depict those transformations in any way? Because obviously when you have a human, you know, like you have the skin, you have like a generalized anatomy that you're obviously very familiar with, you know, stretching and forming into new things. But when it comes to these other kind of characters, you almost have to rethink how you depict the transformation because it's like, oh, well, I can't have fur sprouting. It has to be changing, for example. So do you find that to be challenging? And how do you like approach those kinds of changes? It is definitely a little more challenging because there's nothing like Mm -hmm. two contrasting forms and transforming into the contrasting form. And then if you have something very similar I don't know why I can't think of anybody but Beast. Help me, Zill. Um, <laughs> uh, lombaxes. Lombaxes. Okay. So what Ratchet. if you had I don't know. Beast turning into <laughs> Lombax? Well, at least, um, at least in that sense, you can look at the size. So that oh, kind of is an extra um, little help to really accentuate the TF. Uh, you'd have them shrinking. You'd have that big old great muzzle of uh, the Beast kind of shrinking down to a cute little muzzle. Um, yeah. Ears extending physical form going so so that's but it it is a little more challenging if it's a little closer let's say you had lassie turning into clifford the big red dog i mean that's not that's not much of a difference um, no it's not so and or i've had something like similar lassie DeBalto. or lassie DeBalto, exactly it's yeah. like then you have to really pick what makes lassie lassie what makes balto balto and really try to accentuate those changes so it it is more challenging, I think, because it's not as common. I I haven't done as many of those. I have done them, but not as many. Yeah, no, I've, I think there's obviously a lot less of them just because there's often more of a focus on either people themselves turning into an animal or people themselves turning into a character, not so much True. characters into characters. Yeah, that's what I see most of the time, yeah. So then in terms of the themes that you like to create in your personal pieces, I was curious to know a little more about what kind of specific tropes or themes that you like to specialize in and you really feel attached to in terms of the ones that you want your audience to kind of associate with you or walk away with knowing like, you know, Hornbuckle really does a good job with, you know, these tropes or these themes. Oh gosh. I hope that my audience walks away 
thinking Hornbuckle can take on any TF challenge and succeed. So I don't have a preference for what my audience walks away with except for that, knowing that I am up to most challenges and I like to do that. But on a personal level of just what I enjoy, whether or not my audience will ever associate me with that, and that's fine, is I love werewolves. <laughs> I've mentioned a thousand times, but that is like my first true love. They just hold such a special place in my heart. And if I got to draw more werewolf TFs, I'd be happy. And I'm going to be trying to draw more werewolf TFs on my own for my Patreon and for the comics I have in mind. Um, I have a couple different werewolf-themed short stories in mind. And there's like creatures or characters. So, you know, there's there's those themes. But there's also people really like um, emotions. They like certain emotions with their TF. And people like certain, you know, some people really like clothes ripping. Or they really like the focus on the muzzle. Or they really like shoes bursting. And for me, like in that realm of what I like... For tropes and we like to specialize in. I was actually I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I like more difficult TF. Like the person isn't having a good time, but not not having a good time, yeah. and that's the classic werewolf thing. Like in all the movies, that it looks pretty painful and intense, and I like that. But they're once they're a werewolf, like they're having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, I like that. As much as I like someone being really excited about it, um, that's cool too. But I think the, I think the allure for me being forced into becoming a monster mm-hmm. is it just represents like letting go and letting your true self come forward because you're not really a monster, but people, society can view you as a monster. You can be afraid of who you really are. It might be so scary. You know, monster being, you know, the scary trope. But you're finally free. <laughs> yeah. And oh, what a joy it is to be free. <laughs> so that's why I really love werewolves and that, and that theme. I'm, d- I'm definitely sensing some, uh, some analogies to some degree in how you're describing that. I can think I can see why it resonates with you. Right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a really good friend uh, who put it really well growing up they um really resonated with vampires and i really resonated with werewolves and only now in our adulthood uh they well now i'm sorry i brought it up because i can't remember what they said that the vampire was for them oh shoot i should have asked but they pointed out to me that the werewolf being a a transformation (laughs) it's like oh look at that i had wanted so badly to become something other and the other is so looked down on, but why? It, it is so good to be other. I yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, society has a way of viewing the other and shunning it to some degree. That for people who feel othered their whole lives can be really resonating. And obviously, I think that transformation has that theme over and over again when you look at, you know how mythology around transformation can be, you know, like it's often used as a punishment or, you know, it's used to be like sneaky or like subterfuge and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of um, 
values that have been baked in to some degree by society into transformation. But if you already feel othered, then it's like, well, this is a thing that then I, I can identify with. And also it can make me feel more confident in who I am and what I want to express. There is that freedom, like you said, of like, well, this is who I am. Come and get me almost. And like, you don't have to hold back. Yeah. Werewolves. This is who I am. Come and get me. <laughs> Being trans. <laughs> this is who I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck around and find out. Yeah. Literally fuck around and find out. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that's really great. And, you know, one thing that I also find interesting is, you know, particularly with how you describe that, you know, like, it's almost like, you know, maybe it's not like fully wanting it to happen. But then once you're in the process, it's almost like, well, it's happening now. And it might not be the most pleasant experience. But also, I'm really looking forward to the end point. I think that's a very specific, like, trans vibe, you know, like, it's just, I don't know. Absolutely. Just, just kiss. <laughs> I think that's why it resonates with me. Absolutely, yep. Absolute chef's kiss. Ah, so good. So good. Uh, love werewolves. Me They're too. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I was also curious then to ask, you know, are there any specific, like, triggers for transformation besides obviously you know the full moon with werewolves like are there any other like specific triggers that you really like in transformation either in like you know the ones that you depict or just like on a personal level that you like to see yeah for personal um i i do have this character that his name is graham and he's a werewolf that of course but it's not full moon it's a different kind of trigger um it's if anyone calls him a good boy and so I love word triggers because it can happen at any moment. <laughs> and the whole emotional turmoil or joy that could come with the word being said, and then you have to transform. And for my character, Graham, he, he's embarrassed but also likes it. Uh, so when he's being called a good boy, it's praise, so he likes it, but also, oh crap, now I'm transforming. Um, and then for, <laughs> for clients... Because I get a lot of great ones. I have to give my clients a lot of like, credit. They come up with some really clever, fun ones. Um, articles of clothing, potions are fun. I think it's classic. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I love Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does, I feel yes. like. It's just so formative. <laughs> so good. Oh, there's just so many good ones. Uh, gifts, that was a really cool one. That someone would be handed a gift, and that would just be the trigger. Oh, there's so many good ones. I don't, I don't think I've met. I don't think I've met a trigger I didn't like. Interesting, because that was going to be my next question. I was going to say, well, you know, if there's so many you like, are there any you don't like? But that's interesting. I can't think of them. There might be, but maybe I don't have to draw them, so <laughs> I haven't really. Yeah, I mean that. That's also true. You just might not have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, 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 it's. I always find that the triggers again. This kind of plays into like themes or tropes you know it can really help set the vibe of the piece obviously you know if it's a gift there's almost like two approaches either the person's really happy with it or they're like oh my gosh why did you give this to me ah. <laughs> um you know you can get very specific and relatable reactions from what the trigger is be it like you know like you know eating food or wearing an item of clothing like you said or you know the word play so many like in my opinion, top tier trigger is making a bad pun and then TFing, like fight me on that. <laughs> no, that's good. I agree with you there. I love a good pun. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the more groan inducing, the better the TF. Absolutely. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Cause why not? We're allowed to have yeah. fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I just, I think it's interesting that when it comes to your stuff, it definitely, like you said, it you kind of want the audience to come away with the sense that you can handle any trope or theme or trigger and you will do so in a confident and very well done manner. Because I mean, I do think like in terms of your body of work that comes across, there's a lot of different things that I've seen depicted in your art that obviously, you know, a lot of the variety can in some senses come from, you know, the ideas of commissioners. But if the unifying theme is you can do anything, I think you are getting that. Like, I think the audience is coming away with that theme. So I'm glad that um, that's where you've kind of positioned yourself, because that is definitely the impression I think that comes across. Thank you. Yes. Well, good. I am so glad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so we have a few audience questions here, and we have kind of touched on this first one to some degree, but our first question was from Figerfire, and uh, he asked, what was your first TF creation? And it doesn't have to be an actual art or story, but the first idea you had for a transformation. I think you've kind of touched on that with both like the, the art piece you did with the monkey transformation as well as the werewolves. But was there anything else that really came to mind as kind of standing out in your kind of like initial TF journey? Uh, I really do think I covered it. <laughs> it really, yeah, I mean, even if I go fair. way back, it's just wolves and werewolves and it's really, it's just that. And um, sketchbooks and computer, like I remember just running into my parents' office and stealing I mean, I wasn't really stealing. They let me, but a uh, computer paper, you know, printer paper, and just drawing and drawing and drawing werewolves. And then again, like in my adult career here, um, the the monkey TF for my for my character. Yeah, that was like my first, as far as I can tell. I think in my case, well, the first transformation piece I actually created was a written piece, and this would have been. Woof, I don't even know. Probably when I was in my teen years, I think I wrote a story for CYOC, the uh, the wonderful, lovely site. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, I think it was a wolf transformation. I'm pretty sure it was a wolf transformation. Yeah, my first Minif was also a wolf transformation. And my first like idea of TF was oh actually no that one was different it was a dinosaur tf oh Um, wow (laughs) yeah there was um this like i'm dating myself a little here back in the 90s we had these things called uh cd roms and (laughs) um, (laughs) they were often educational in manner so i had a uh magic school bus cd that was all around like the dinosaurs and there was a little mini game in that that uh you would have two of the different characters and you could put them in like this like machine and they would turn into half dinosaur half human kind of like creations at the end um i think it was called like the morphomatic or something bring back the morphomatic (laughs) i want it too i'm like where is this thing where do i get this device i need it (laughs) um yeah i need it really bad um that definitely was like the first time where i was like oh, this is like a thing. And obviously like Animorphs blah, blah, blah. But the Magic School Bus one, I think actually predates that. And that one definitely was like, I didn't even know what was going on at the time, but I was like, oh, I really like this. And I don't understand why. I'm just going to sit here and keep doing this like right. for like an hour on end. I'm sure there's nothing weird about this. Absolutely um, not. Oh, um, yes. Good. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Uh, 
so the next question we have is from someone who wished to remain anonymous, and they asked, is there a particular kind of TF that you would fight people on for misunderstanding the appeal? Well, I don't feel like I'm here to convince anybody on appeal. Like, everyone's going to find their own thing appealing. I'm not going to make anybody try to understand the appeal unless they want to, but I'm not going to fight somebody on it. Um, With that said, now if someone was like making a negative general assumption about a TF theme, something that is uh, hurtful and untrue, I would do my best to educate them if I knew them personally. Or if they're just, you know, an ass, then you you ignore them, you block them, and you warn others. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is is very fair um, and very balanced. I uh, I don't know. I feel like I would fight people on pool toy TF. Um, I like I, again. I agree. Like you know, if someone's just not into something, that's fine. But I just I really like explaining to people pool toy TF and the appeal to it because I think it's really great, and I think a lot more people would be into it if they had the appeal explained to them. And I've explained it on this podcast before, so oh. I won't like belabor the point. I was because I haven't heard that, and I was going to say, oh, can you tell me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like at the core of it. To give a, a, a kind of brief summary, it's, you know, the the skin to, to like plastic vinyl is a really interesting tactile change. There's the like goofy grins and like turning into an animal, but also losing your mobility, I think can be really interesting. The nulge, as I like to call it, is really great. For me in particular, uh, that hits a lot of gender affirming points um because i too would like to have nothing down there but also make it feel hot um so you know that (laughs) works and um yeah it's just uh, also like the unlimited like you can pick any animal and pair it with pool toy so like you know depending on what you're into you might not be into dog pool toy tf but you might be into crocodile pool Mm. toy tf like you have options or dinosaur yeah or dinosaur dinosaur is a great one you got me sold on pool toy TF. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Those are all valid points. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm here to spread the good word about pool toy TF. There is a question from Ulysses Duckler, and Ulysses asks: In emerging TF, where you become part of a shared body, what part of your body do you think it would be fun to have someone else control, or would it stress you out knowing a part of yourself is being moved independently of your thoughts? Oh, that's interesting. That's a really deep, interesting question. Yeah. Emerging TF. I've done quite a few. It's mm-hmm. not one that I have personally been drawn towards. Again, I support it. I just haven't found my appeal for it. Um, mm-hmm. like, I want to do that. Maybe you should go first, because I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think I have an answer to this. Cool. Um, and I, it, it's kind of a meme answer, so uh, apologies. But I think I would like it for someone else to control my legs so that I don't have to actually like worry about like moving around and I can be lazy. Like It would literally be like you're getting carried around by someone else. I think that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I like that. And that's really clever. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I don't think I'd want any part of me being controlled. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so I can't, I, can't, I can't speak on that one. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think it's also valid to be like, yeah, no, it would stress me out yeah. knowing that someone else has control over Absolutely. part of me. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> exactly. I would be stressed. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, entirely fair. I, I support that. Oh, you mentioned um, writing TF stories. And do you still do that? Great question. Um, So not recently. I um, There is exactly one piece in my FA gallery 
Now that is the only piece of writing that is tied publicly to me. I actually did a lot of different writing under different handles um, back in the day, and then I like buried them and like you know put my gravestone and just never have gone gone back to those handles. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I used writing TF primarily to explore things that at the time I didn't feel comfortable associating with myself publicly and sometimes they were tame and sometimes they were like really out there um so that's why i've never like publicly identified myself with some of those things but i feel that if if you've read the piece that i've written i think i have a distinct well maybe i'm overthinking this i think you could maybe suss out which ones were me back in the day um if anyone can guess them i i will give you a a brownie point but um yeah it's not something i've done recently not for lack of wanting to though um i just find that with my adhd it's made it really difficult to sit down and write things whereas like i can kind of manage that for photo manips because i've done it for so long um but i would someday like to go back to writing tf because back in the day the day i actually like wrote novels and stuff um and i do miss that so maybe someday i'll go back to it oh man i can i can totally see that if if that's where you want to go yeah absolutely yeah um i feel you on the uh the aspect of you've done your photo manips for so long you, you've conditioned yourself to can keep going and whereas you've kind of let writing go so it's it's harder to get motivated and sit there and do it i feel you that oh so much because i've conditioned myself to do the drawing so much so like i I draw every day practically uh for work even even if it's not for myself it's mostly for client work um so i'm very conditioned to do that so when i actually want to sit down and write it'll come in spurts because it it, it never lasts long i'm not i'm not conditioned to you know (laughs) sit there or continue a because writing unless it's a very short story if you're trying to do chapters it takes a while yeah Honestly, the one thing that I've noticed that maybe someday I'll get into um, is like the microfiction on Twitter. I know like, for example, Patrick Changes does that on Twitter where it's like, oh, it's like maybe a short tweet thread and it's like just a little scenario. It's like a little flavor of like TF or whatever. I think that's really great. That is clever. I did a short one like that for, um, what if I did it in Skunk Timber? I think I did, but it was a, it was a Skunk TF short. Oh, nice. Um, fix so i think you just look up my handle plus skunk you'll you'll find it okay good good to know <laughs> maybe i'll try to find it for skunk timber skunk timber and retweet it um but i'd like to get into tf stories and that's the thing i'm going to try with my patreon um just short stories to start off with i won't make them endure chapter stories <laughs> i don't know if i can do that either anyway but i feel like i feel like writing and art pair really well and along with comics and so i think it's just a natural progression to want to to go to that so that was all the questions i had for you i was wondering if you had any questions for me hmm what got you interested in being a part of this podcast and what drives you to do it and on what level do you enjoy it like tell me why you enjoy it that's a great question so I've always been interested in podcasting and the podcast format. I like I listen to them every day. Um, my the podcasts I generally listen to are fairly boring in the sense of like I listen to like news podcasts mostly. Um, but I also have a background in theater to some degree as well as in 
like general like debate moderation and so and like chairing meetings and such so because of that i feel like i've kind of developed uh, a skill at you know asking questions asking good follow-ups and that sort of thing and all of those things can dovetail really nicely with actually like interviewing people and asking questions and doing research and all that good stuff. Um, and so I was always interested in, you know, doing podcasting and, you know, there have been other TF podcasts in the past that I've listened to that I found really interesting. And um, when this initially started, it was kind of like, you know, people coming together and saying, you know, we have this idea for a podcast, let's make it. And so like, that's still why I'm like, I'm doing it to this day. I, I think it's really a really interesting format to talk about these things and have these conversations. But more importantly, it's also a really wonderful thing, I think, for the community to have a podcast to listen to, because it's one area where I think we're like vastly underserviced. You know, like there are so many people who are into transformation and for this to kind of be the only ongoing TF podcast seems on the face of it um, a little bit strange. Um, but having worked on this podcast now for like, uh, I think by the time this episode comes out, it'll be like 26 or 27 or 28 episodes. Like it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, particularly given releasing on a, a weekly format. It means, you know, I have to either work with the edit, uh, an editor or like do some of the editing myself. It's every week. Um, it means, you know, reaching out to guests and, you know, creating outlines for episodes and, you know, making sure that um, the conversations are engaging to listen to. So there's a lot of thought and work that has to go into doing this on a weekly basis and that definitely has illuminated to me why there isn't another one because the the workload is a bit daunting um but i have people who are supporting me and who have supported me and and the other folks in the past and i think that that really helps to in some sense lessen the load but also to keep the motivation there to keep going and i think that when I've gone to conventions and people have mentioned that the podcast resonated with them, that like, that like recharged me like almost Im immediately. I'm like, Oh my God, people like this. And they're like, I listen to it every week. Thank you so much for making it. I feel seen. That's like all the validation I need. So absolutely. Um, yeah. That's an incredible feeling. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I really do like that. And so, um, you know, uh, it's, it's one part, you know, like, that and one part feeling like you know the community's done for a lot of for me i'd like to give back in some way and also i mean i wouldn't i would be lying if i didn't say i also thought i personally had good opinions and so i want to broadcast those but you know that's another thing <laughs> well i'm here to say you absolutely do have good opinions and you absolutely should broadcast them and <laughs> thank you you are absolutely excellent at your job right away i felt comfortable because i was nervous i've never been on a podcast I've never talked about TF at length, you know. So you were you have a natural flair and um, soothing charm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you were definitely you. meant for this, and it's really beautiful that you you are giving back to the TF community. It, it's it definitely sounds like a passion project. The amount of time and effort this takes, like that's yeah. nothing to scoff at. You know, people. I hope they know how lucky they are to have this. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, it is definitely a passion project. And um, I have 
big plans and so far um, they're all coming to fruition. So I'm really happy about that and I'm looking forward to the future when we uh, hopefully will be launching our own Patreon um, to help kind of keep this going and so that I can pay the poor editor who works with me um, because uh, he does a lot of good work too and uh, I would like to compensate him. So, um, is yeah, your so you're going to be making a Patreon, you said? Or are you... Yes, yes. Okay, okay, you haven't made it. Well, let me know when. Put that out there. Yep. I'll, I'll blast that I will. and I'll oh, join. Yes. I will definitely put it out there. Um, we're, we're we're playing around with the, the launch dates, but I'm, I'm hoping it'll come out soon. And uh, who knows? This might be the the first or episode under the podcast or the, under the Patreon or, or what have you. Because um, yeah, we're we'll, we I, I've said, I think I've said this before, but we'll never pay well content. I don't think that that's really what um, the spirit of this podcast is for because it's about you know connecting with the community it would just kind of be a way for people to help support us moving forward it's kind of like um, how you've kind of set up yours to some degree so um, you know it's 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 a similar vibe cool that's awesome yes we, we will all support it we're all yes. here <laughs> <laughs> thank you I have uh, uh, one final question oh yeah go for it uh, so in my journey of being like, wait, there's a podcast and like just trying to consume this as much as I possibly can. Uh, I haven't listened to all episodes, but I did start on season one, probably episode one. Um, and then moved on to season two for a couple episodes, but something that was said really tickled me and I had to share and then ask you this, this, this question. Okay. TF central said that they are a TF bottom meaning they want to be the one being TF'd. And I really liked that. And it helped me realize that I am a TF top. I yes. really like the TF people. And so, Zill, are you a TF bottom or a TF top? Okay, I'm going to give a cop-out answer, and then I'll give another answer. <laughs> okay. So my cop-out answer is that I'm a TF-verse. Um, I switch yeah. between the two. Um my elaborating answer is my favorite kind of TF vibe is it, it this is more aligned to being a TF top um, and I you know it's interesting because this is more of a recent development mm -hmm. I for the longest time I would have identified myself as a TF bottom but um, I think that especially recently one thing I really like is the idea of being able to change myself at will and then also change other people whether they want it or not and i think that's very much like tf top vibes that's even TF if it's like vibes. you know yeah <laughs> yeah so I, I definitely lean more towards that way nowadays i definitely enjoy both i think both are great um but i've definitely found myself leaning more towards that element recently and i think that's really interesting good um, good join my side yes <laughs> yes i am i am fully on your side to be clear so tf tops all you tf bottoms better watch out yeah i know it's true it's true <laughs> we're in high demand that's right we really so, are yeah. now <laughs> i love it oh man uh. well thank you so much um for coming on this week i really had a wonderful time chatting with you and for those who aren't aware where can people find you on the internet well first it has been an absolute pleasure being on here and chatting with you thank you please let me know anytime you want me to come on again i will hop on the opportunity um so my most common place where i post would be twitter that's the happen in place and you can find me at um art by hornbuckle on there 
And uh, you can see I haven't posted to my fur affinity in a very long time, but there's lots of good stuff on there, especially the TFs we were talking about. Some of my first, you can go way back in my gallery and find them. And uh, because Hornbuckle was taken oh so many years ago, <laughs> my fur affinity name had to be uh, hyphen Hornbuckle hyphen. So the dash or hyphen, whatever you want to call it. And I recently opened up my Patreon, and that's really easy to find. I have it linked on my Twitter. But if you just go to patreon.com forward slash transformed, you'll find me. And you'll find lots of goodies if you uh, join as a TF admirer or a TF connoisseur. Amazing. And such a wonderfully telling name for your Patreon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come get transformed, baby. Yeah, 100%. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. Thank and you. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to this week's episode of the TF Tuesday podcast. I hope you had as, as much fun listening to it as I did recording it. Tune in next week for more fun goodness. And in the meantime, you know, stay healthy, stay hydrated, keep an open mind, and stay TFE. And we will see you all soon. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye.